What is good guys, welcome to Top House Sports, where we analyze and break down sports games from the week, as well as our reactions and predictions from this past week. I'm House with Chill, I was Kaden Mutamit, and we have a lot to talk about, so let's get started. And it's great to be back after that month-long break, and a lot of things happened while we were gone, and the 2022 NFL season has just wrapped up, playoffs are about to start next week. But let's talk about the regular season, and a lot of big surprises and disappointments went on during the regular season. So let's start with the surprises right now. So Kaden, who would be your surprise team for the 2022 NFL season I mean in my opinion it's got to be the Giants I, although they like I don't know they had an interesting schedule they played kind of well in the beginning I believe they started five and one slow, slow down a little bit but managed to fight enough to make the playoffs I don't think really anyone really considered them to be a playoff team so for that I'm gonna say they're a surprise in making the postseason I had the Giants on my list as well. Many people, like you said, predicted the Giants to finish last in the NFC East and not make the playoffs. But the new addition of head coach Brian Dable brought a new identity to this New York Giants team. And also the health of this entire team went up as well. Saquon Barkley finally came back and had a healthy season. And Daniel Jones significantly improved his play on the football field as well. So their offense really improved since their uh, you know those years back then where they finished dead last in the NFL. And also the defense, although they did lose big pieces such as, you know, James Bradbury, um, the rookie Kevin Thibodeau had an incredible year as a rookie, and Dexter Lawrence has started to solidify his name as one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. So, as so like you said, the Giants, one of the bigger surprises in the NFL, but also the Minnesota Vikings has to be one of those names up there as well, and the Eagles, so a lot of those NFC teams up there in the surprises. Let's start with the Eagles first. They did make the wild card round, but they lost. Nobody really expected Jalen Hurts this year to take that tremendous step up in this game, becoming himself as an MVP candidate. And like, what do you what do you think about the Eagles this year? Do you think they uh, have a chance to really you know make themselves a Super Bowl winner this year? I, I, the thing is that gets me on that team is that they have such a good team, but do they have the experience in the postseason? I don't think they do. Um, it's impossible to tell because, like, we saw a team in last year, Joe Burrow and the Bengals, they had quite literally no playoff experience and they ended up making the Super Bowl and almost won the Super Bowl. So it's a little tough to tell. I think that this team has potential to make it deep, at least in the playoff run this year, but. They're going to have to be on the same page, and Jalen Hurts is going to have to lead that team. Yeah, for me, I think they could. I mean, their running game offense is really, really, you know, one of the best in the entire league. Their ability to give it off to Miles Sanders and also Jalen Hurts being that dual threat ability is really going to have the, de- the opposing defense really scrambling to cover which guy are they going to cover for the run. And then especially on that, Jalen Hurts has improved in the passing game as well. New addition, A.J. Brown has really you know cemented himself as a top five wide receiver in the league this year, along with Devontae Smith, like one of the best college wide receivers. Like he's very understepped on in this Eagles offense because he's under AJ Brown and with the Eagles being a heavy run offense, you know, Devontae Smith is in there in the back and if he's on any other team, Devontae Smith easily cracks a thousand yards. So this Eagles team on offense, I think can take them to the Super Bowl and their defense is one of the top in the entire league as well. And let's talk about the Vikings. For me, it's kinda of hard to say if they're a surprise or not. I was expecting the Vikings at some point to, you know, May, uh, to become one of the best teams in the NFC because if not, Justin Jefferson would have been out easily. So for the Vikings, I wouldn't really say it's a p- surprise that they're one of the best teams in the NFL. What do you think about the Vikings this year? Um, I think we can remember dating back to when the first in- the season first started. I've I've always been someone who kind of bought in with the Vikings, and I feel like the moment that really changed for them is when they had the addition of T.J. Hawkinson, and that solidified their offense to have like a weapon 
outside of Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson that's consistent. And I'm, I don't want to say that I'm surprised by their record, although going 13-4 and four is very impressive as a team. Um, this team, they've been a, like just an all-around solid team for many years now, and I think that's dating back to even when Stephon Diggs was on the team. Um, they just haven't been able to break through, and I think that this is really going to be their first opportunity to do so. I'm interested to see how Kirk Cousins does because, you know, he's been criticized so much in his career for not being able to be a person who shows up in clutch scenarios. So I think that this team is surprising in the way that no one expected them to be this good. Although if you look at the path that they took, I'm I'm not surprised that they are this good. And for the AFC, the Jacksonville Jaguars, do you think they're one of the better surprises of this year or did you kind of expect them to become this good? Listen, okay, so as someone who had Trevor Lawrence be their starting quarterback on one of their main fantasy teams, I've always bought in. Even though, like, I I was watching Jacksonville Jaguar games in and out, and the really, like, the place where they were lacking is the connectivity between the flow of the offense. And as soon as Trevor Lawrence started to trust wide receivers like Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, they just have, they have an all-right core but it's really Trevor Lawrence who's made the step up and began to lead this team in a way where they can compete. And so while they did they did make a push enough for the playoffs and actually beat out the Titans, I'm, I'm so happy because I really didn't think the Titans stood any chance. I think that the Jaguars can give a team a run for their money. So the, I, I do actually find them to be surprising that they're in the playoffs this year. But I, I expected Trevor Lawrence to have this type of progression very soon, if not this year already. For me, the Jaguars, yes, they're surprised in the way that they made the playoffs, but with how weak that division is, I'm not really like amazed that they made the playoffs because, yes, they do have a winning record now, but a 9-8 and eight record team making the playoffs, I mean, that's got to be one of the lower-tier teams to make the playoffs. So, like, for me, it's like, yes, it's, like, it's a great story for the Jaguars, and I certainly think they have a chance to win the division again next year with Calvin Ridley back in the lineup for Jacksonville. But like just again, like how weak the division is, I'm not like any team in that in that division could easily make the playoffs. Whether that be the Colts, the the Titans, or even now the Jaguars, <laughs> like their whole division is below 500 at some point. So for me, not sur- I'm surprised in the way that they did make the playoffs. But like with that record, you know, it's it's the AFC South. Like they're not really going to do much. So yeah, but yeah. if they can start to consistently solidify themselves over the teams like. The I mean, I don't even have to say the Texans, but like the Colts and the Titans, then they'll start to actually get some playoff experience. And that's where things start to matter. Like you have such a young core over there, too. I don't think people talk about Travis Etienne enough. I think he's had such a very, very good bounce back season after his rookie year. And from what we've seen from Trayvon Walker, too, like there's these other players getting all the recognition, recognition, Kayvon Thibodeau, um, Aiden Hutchinson, Sauce Gardner. I don't I don't think he gets nearly the amount of recognition that he should be getting because he's been a very good in the past rush. He's been very good when it comes to drop coverage. And so I, I'm, I'm very impressed from what I've seen from him as a rookie. And I think that this team is still young. They have a lot more to grow and that this playoff opportunity for them is going to be very impactful for them in the future, I feel like. Definitely. And let's move on to the disappointments of this 2022 NFL season. And my first one has got to be my, my favorite team, the Denver Broncos. Of course, the one of the biggest um, disappointments in this entire NFL season. First, let's 
let's talk about the offseason. They traded key players and multiple draft picks for Russell Wilson in hopes to, you know, to finally have a quarterback. And when that trade happened, I was excited. Like, Russell Wilson, last year he did go out with an injury, but... Like, what we've seen, Russell Wilson is still a very capable quarterback. He has the ability to escape the pocket, make very incredible plays. Um, but, <laughs> like, this season just was the opposite. I know many people and analysts had expectations for this team to make the playoffs. Some even pushed it to say that Denver was a Super Bowl contender in the offseason. But, in reality, when this season happened, Denver had one of the worst offenses in the NFL and finished last in the AFC West once again. And it wasn't just because their offense looked stale, too. Their whole roster was injury-riddled. NFL high 17 players was on the injury reserve this entire regular season for the Denver Broncos. So most of of the season, the Denver Broncos were playing with backup players, with pretty much practice squad players at some point, too. And not only that, the head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, was brought in in hopes to create a more offensive-heavy team. But in reality, this offensive-minded head coach cannot get any place to work on offense, and his time management skills were unbelievably embarrassing. Like in week two, they had to bring in another coach so that they could, you know, have better time management. And I remember one of the games I was watching in week three, the entire arena, or ent- yeah, the entire arena, had to literally count down five, four, three, two, one for the for the clock because. <laughs> so like the the team could not get a penalty for delaying the game which is incredible to see because like how are you an NFL head coach and you'd even know like how much time is on the time clock so like, <laughs> incredible to see like it's just amazing to see how bad this Denver team was now who's your biggest disappointment this year um it have to be either one of those teams in the in the AFC West I mean to say that that whole division as a as a whole was really predicted to all go to the playoffs like teams were saying oh who's gonna win the division is it gonna be the Chargers the Chiefs the Raiders even with the new acquisitions uh that they've gotten with Chandler Jones and uh Devontae Adams really upgraded the team too um and that team just really hasn't been able to get there as well while I'll say that the Broncos have been massive disappointments. I see that they've gone through so many injuries. Like to lose not only in the start of the season, your starting running back who was projected to be a like very very big catalyst for them in the offense. That just changes your season. I feel like, and I don't see the same excuses that I see with the Broncos within the Raiders. Like the Raiders really, other than maybe the bits and pieces where Darren Waller was out for a few extended periods they have really not dealt with that many injuries I don't know what the problem is with that team but they've had solid weapons Josh Jacobs had a career year too and he's just I'm pretty sure he's off that team already like he does not want to associate with them and he's due for a big payday too so we'll see what happens with that situation but either way I feel like the Raiders just they they not only underachieved but they had less excuses for it in the way that I just you didn't try to go all in this year, or I mean, you did try to go all in this year, bringing in Devonte Adams, and where has that gotten them? So yeah. yeah, I mean, last year the Raiders made the playoffs with a ten and seven record, lost to Cincinnati in that wild card round. But like you said, they traded for Devonte Adams, arguably the best wide receiver in football. And on paper, when you looked at that roster in the off season, yeah, Derek Carr, which I think he's a solid. Uh, quarterback a lot of people say he's washed that he's the reason why no I I think I still think he's a top 10 quarterback in the league of course he does make some mistakes with the interceptions but besides that point like they have Josh Jacobs like you said a career year uh, leading the league in rushing yards this year Devontae Adams Hunter Renfro Darren Waller like on paper that that offense in that backfield looks so scary and like 
I, I would say that's probably like at least top three, top two um, offense in the entire league on paper. But like you said, like so many blown leads over and over again the regular season, and they'd even make the playoffs after making the playoffs last year without those big pieces. So like you said, I, I would agree too. The Raiders also one of the bigger disappointments this year in the NFL. Let's move on to the NBA All-Star season right around the corner in about a month and a half. So the first round of the uh, the, the fan voting came out. It's pretty funny. You know, you have players like Austin Reeves, uh, <laughs> like Kevon Looney, Andrew Wiggins, like all of those players. It's kind of funny to see them making those fan voting lists. But let's get it for real now for your West. Um, who would you have as your starters for the NBA All-Star game? Oh, man. Um, one, I got to go with right away, Luka Doncic. There's no way he's not being a starter. Um and it's listen we're two months away so this is probably due to change depending on how things go but for now I'm gonna put John Morant as the second guard in there Curry's been out for an extended amount of time I think if he stayed healthy and had the same at least similar stats I'd, I would have went with Curry but I'm gonna pick Jaw because of health health reasons um at the forward spots I'm gonna put LeBron even though his team isn't doing so well he's still averaging great stats and he is LeBron James so I mean. I <laughs> can't really leave him out of there. And um, the second solidified uh, front court spot that I have is Jokic. MVP year again. Just, the, in my opinion, the best big man in the league. Um, not really much to stay there. But then it comes down to the next spot. And it's a little tough for me. It's I think the two options that I think about are AD and Zion. And both are currently injured for an unknown amount of time. And so I, I, I think that I'll go with Zion because he has played more. And his team... His team deserves an all-star. I mean, the Pelicans have been very, very good to, for this year, and I think that he definitely deserves the nod over there. Definitely. I agree, I agree with you for the Luka. Luka, I agree, has to be in there. LeBron, again, I agree. I agree. And Jokic as well. Um, I do have Steph Curry in there in the starters just because, like, the fan voting. Steph Curry is, I think, right behind LeBron in the fan voting. No way he will get it. You know, on the bench, it's Steph Curry, and I think he's coming back this week too. So he's going to be back, and he's, he's actually be, he's actually playing tonight against tonight. the Suns. Yeah, so he's a so like you said, he's back and well and healthy again. So he's definitely going to make the starters for sure. And like you said, AD and Zion, both of them currently injured, but I do agree. I think Zion should be in there as the starters for the West. And for your bench, who do you think is going to make it for the West? So I mean, Damian Lillard is going to be one of those guards. And I think that I'm going to put Curry because I didn't put him as a starter. So I think um, those the group of four, Curry, Dame, Jaw, and Luka, while there's no guarantee that any of them are going to be starters, in my opinion, except Luka, um, I think that they're all going to make the all-star team for sure. Um, those are my two guards and three front courts, right? Um, yeah. Oh, this is where it gets a little tough. Um... I I I'm I'm not I'm gonna put AD because he was he was having a stellar season to start the year before he got injured MVP caliber numbers you know and so it's a little tough uh for the second spot I may actually want to give it to Brandon Ingram mm. of interesting of the New Orleans Pelicans uh it might be uh people don't agree with that but from what I've seen this year out of that team he, he's been like the focal point. Of their offense although zion and mccollum have gotten their fair share he's been the most consistent of the three and for that reason I, I'd, I'd give him a nod but there's there's uh, of course the chance that he he has played a little amount of games too and so it's it's tough in that aspect as well um for the th- final three spots it gets tough man um some notable names that you could put in yeah shago just alexander 
Um, you see, he's a he's a guard though, huh? Yeah, he, he could he could still he could still make it as alternate. I'll put I'll put Shea in there. He he's been fantastic this year as well, and so. Um. Yeah. Shay. Names: McCollum, De'Aaron Fox, Laurie Markkinen, Demonis Sabonis. There we go. Okay. So, um, in my opinion, the Kings need an All Star. I don't know who it's gonna be, whether it's Fox or Sabonis or both. But for that sake, I'm looking at it. I'm gonna say Fox is my secondary, uh, um, flex position, and then for the final front court spot, I'm gonna say Laurie Markkinen because I feel like what he's done for the Jazz. He's the only reason why they're even why they're even near a positive record right now, and the fact that he just almost put up fifty. I mean, yeah, he he's been on a roll, and so I don't want to um I don't want to go over that. I think that he's very deserving of that spot too. Definitely, and my bench, uh, mostly the same as yours, like you just said, Anthony Davis, Laurie Markkinen, Demonis Sabonis. I actually have in the All Star game. John Morant, uh, Shea Gilgeous Alexander, Damian Lillard, and De'Aaron Fox should round out my West for the All Star game, and for the East. It gets a little even more controversial. Oh, and who do you have as your starting lineup for the Eastern Conference? See, okay, um, I don't. I really don't know who I'm gonna bench as the front court starters out of the East. I mean, you could say all four of those players: Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. They're all four MVP candidates. So it's really like you could tell me any th- any three of those four should be in there, and I'll agree with you. Like I don't think anyone doesn't deserve it. If if I'm if I'm the league right now, I'm looking at starting all four of them and putting a guard out, but that's not possible. So for this time, I'm gonna start with the front court. I'm gonna say that Giannis definitely makes it. He's too popular in the fan voting to not get the nod. I feel like he's I believe the by far the leader in that regard. I I may be wrong. I don't know. Um. Kevin Durant actually. Uh, yeah, I I I thought I thought Kevin Durant actually. Yeah. So, um, Giannis and KD, in my opinion, are the ones who are probably gonna make it. I, I think the it finally it it will come down to Jason Tatum and Joel Embiid, and I I, I you could say it's biased, you could say it's not, but the Celtics ha- have the best record in the league, in my opinion. Jason Tatum is the best player on the team. He's putting up MVP numbers too. I think he should get the nod in front of Embiid, but again. That's my opinion. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds, though. I feel like um, someone's definitely going to get their feelings hurt in that regard. But definitely, yeah. Going down now to the um, the guards for the starting lineup, I say Kyrie Irving has to be in there, too. I know that Kevin Durant, I said, is going to be in the lineup, but Kyrie is underratedly averaging a solid 27 points per game. And the Nets have made a run um, after going on that massive win streak. They've still kept up the momentum. And so... They are the second, currently the second best record in the East, and so I, I'm gonna put him as one of the starting guards. And um, I, I don't even think this is a debate either. The second guard for me is Donovan Mitchell, also put up, putting up just the best numbers of his career as well. And so it's, it's I love the NBA this year so much, you know. Definitely, yeah. So pretty much the same as yours, Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell, no question about that. Although I do have Joel Embiid starting in front of Jason Tatum. But I'm not going to be surprised if Tatum actually does get it over Embiid just because Embiid has been injured a couple games as well. So they do give it to Tatum because of health reasons. Not too surprised about that either. And let's talk about the bench for the East. I have Jason uh, Jason Tatum coming off the bench. But along with his teammate Jalen Brown also getting the all-star vote for me, Trey Young gets the vote for me in the Eastern Conference. Julius Randle and Pascal Siakam will be my front court, And my two flex positions, James Harden averaging a double-double and Tyrese Halliburton leading all the NBA in assists. Those are my Eastern bench people. 
off the top of my head, I can already say that this is going to be easily comparable to your bench. So, I mean, starting with the fact that I had Embiid not starting, he's definitely going to be a bench player. <laughs> no no shot, he's not. Um, in my opinion, I'm going to put, well, Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown deserves that too. And I, I, I'm going to consider him a guard in this regard. So, I think him and actually Darius Garland, mm. in my opinion, because the Cavs also have been very consistent. He's put up some good numbers as well. I'm going to put him under that category as well. Um, for the last two front court players, I think I'm going to have to go with Julius Randle as well. I think he's had a very good season. He's kept the Knicks into a position where they can make the playoffs, and I'm pretty sure he's coming off of, what, a 40-point game, a high-scoring 40-point yeah. game, in which resulted in a loss. So he's giving his team his all. And I remember the Julius Randle haters after last year, they were talking a lot, but you don't see them talking this year. And Definitely so, not. I, mean, he's, I think he's pretty much averaging a double-double at this game. Seems like every game he's averaging like at least 25 and like 10 rebounds. So definitely deserving of an all-star bid. Quite yeah. quite literally. And um, someone who I think you left off, I, I and I see why, but I, I can't help but put him on my list for the front court. I'm going to put DeMar DeRozan mm. in there. He's putting up, I think... What the close to the same amount that he's he put up last year, and he was an MVP candidate last year. Yeah. And so, the only thing that differentiates between it is the Bulls are just not winning. And I, I don't put that on him, I put that on health reasons. Lonzo Ball, good piece, has just been out for so long, and you know, scratch that, but yeah, um, that's pretty much it. And then the two alternate spots, I'm putting Tyrese Halliburton in there. I don't care what Wally Scissorback says. That man is an all-star. They're in the playoffs because of his play and how unselfish he is being the best playmaker in my eyes this year, putting up the most assists. And I I, I heard what you said about James Harden. And while I say that um, he very well could make it, not only a popular name, but also a fantastic player, I, I can't help but put Pascal Siakam over him. I think mm. Pascal Siakam has also solidified himself a start, uh, not a starter, a uh, bench role in the All Star game. Although his Raptors are not winning as well, yeah. but his, I'm, I believe he's averaging a close to 27, 26, seven, 20, yeah, twenty six, twenty seven, along with like seven boards and seven assists, somewhere around there, and that's. That's that's nothing short of excellence. So yeah, that, yeah, those are my starters. Yeah, the East is definitely going to be crazy more than the West. I would say going to be controversial once those lineups get released in about a month. We could talk more about that. Who are the biggest snubs? But that's another topic for another time. Let's end this. Uh, let's end this episode with another segment of debunking hot takes. So I got four hot takes for you today. Let's start with the number one. See, a very fun one, a very interesting one. But Will Chamberlain's one hundred points has not been cracked since basically the dawn of basketball so which nba player do you think has the best chance of defeating wilt's 100 point game currently in the nba we're saying currently um it, it would have to be someone who just can't help but not score the ball and so when i see that it's in bunches you see all these big men dominating of course Giannis puts up big numbers all the time but just because of that kind of inconsistent outside shot he, he probably isn't putting up the numbers that someone else would. And so I look at someone who can put up numbers in bunches. I'm going to have to say Steph Curry. Mm. I know that his shooting has been just stellar over his career, the best shooter of all time. And I look at someone who can just go off one night for just an unheard amount of points. We saw it with Donovan Mitchell. I think Curry is capable of having similar nights like that. So I'm going to have to say Curry. Curry surprisingly hasn't had a 70-point game with how great his shooting is. But, Which, I mean, 62. Honestly, shocking. Yeah, 62 is still great. But, 
I was actually debating between two players. One of them, Luka Doncic, he did have that 60-point triple-double. And, I mean, he is basically unstoppable on offense. He could drive to the paint, back you down, shoot three-pointers, all of that. And I think he has a great chance of defeating Wilt's 100-point game. But I'm going to go with Steph's teammate, Klay Thompson. I Ooh. think he has the best chance. Now, hear me out. Yes, he's not, like, the most, like, flashy, you know, scorer. But when you look at his 60-point game where he dropped 60 in basically under 30 minutes on like 12 dribbles let's say Kerr did play him out right he probably would have scored at least 80 points and Clay Thompson has a reputation of just catching on fire and when he does I think he's probably the most lethal scorer of all time 37 points in a quarter just to name another thing 11 threes in that OKC game to help them come back from 3-1 Clay Thompson when he's on fire I don't think anyone can stop him I mean catch and shoot doesn't matter if you have a hand up in his face that's still a knockdown he could literally take it off the dribble, fadeaway jump shot, fadeaway jumper, pull up three-pointers. I mean, this guy, when he's on fire, is unstoppable, and his accolades have shown why he you know, is unstoppable when he's on fire. So I think that when he does catch on fire, that 100-point game could certainly be nailed down when Klay Thompson can't miss at all. No, and I agree. Those two are potentially, in my, in my eyes, they are the two best shooters of all time, and for them to be able to play together, it's such a compliment. And so... I definitely agree. We've seen the fantastic performances from Clay. I would not be surprised if he puts up just another historic stat line because he he what what you said when he catches fire, there's no stopping him. Definitely. Let's move on to another one. This one is pretty controversial. I looked through Reddit for this one, and I this one caught my eye. Giannis Antetokounmpo is higher on the all-time list than Kevin Durant right now. Do you agree or disagree with this one? Now you see. They have a different number of accolades. You look at them, but we're talking individual accomplishments. I I would have to agree that I have Giannis above Durant. Giannis has an MVP. Um, my my bad. Defensive Player of the Year, something that um, Kevin Durant has never even been in the conversation for. Um, his two way versatility is so much like so advanced on a different scale compared to De- Kevin Durant. Um, although both are very very capable defenders. Um. The back-to-back MVP also does help. In his case, I believe uh, Durant only has one MVP. Um, but then the rings. You look at the rings, and Durant does have more rings. Um, but it, it, I, I also saw this question somewhere. Which, which would you say is more valuable, Kevin Durant's two rings or Giannis's one? Giannis did do it by himself, but for me, when I look at this conversation, I would agree Giannis would be higher if you give him the same amount of time Kevin Durant has played. But if you're talking about right now, at this moment, I think Kevin Durant is still higher on the all-time list than Giannis. Now, like you did say, Giannis has more MVPs, but Durant has more career points, more finals appearances and wins, and more finals MVP, and he does have more career scoring titles than Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, when you do look at context too, yes, Kevin Durant was on that Golden State team, and yeah, you could say, yeah, those championships don't mean as much than Giannis Antetokounmpo, but when you, let's just say, give 20 years, 30 years, right? No one's going to care that Kevin Durant joined the Golden State Warriors. It's going to say Kevin Durant won the squad, won the MVP in the finals with Golden State, and no one's really going to care in 30 years if you know Kevin Durant pulled the weakest move in, in, in NBA history. Still going to go in the record books that says Kevin Durant has the MVP and he won two of them. And, you know, if you want to give that, you know, some, a knock, then fine, let that be. But, 
you can't take away the fact that Kevin Durant made the NBA Finals when he was about, what, 22, 23 years old? Yeah. You know, competed with prime LeBron James and put up, a, I would say, a pretty good fight. So I still have to give you know props to that. He did lead his team to an NBA Finals appearance. Yes, he didn't win, but still, he still have to give props to that. Durant does also have more career points and more career scoring titles than Giannis Antetokounmpo. So for me, just right now at this perspective, Kevin Durant still above Giannis. But I mean, if you give Giannis the same amount of time that Kevin Durant has been in the league, most definitely, yes, Giannis will put up more accolades. And I would will definitely say Giannis will be higher than Kevin Durant when his career is done. Yeah, given that Giannis still has yet to hit the 30 mark, um, I think there's a lot in store for his career still. And so what he's achieved already at such a young age is very, very crazy in that in my eyes. And so, like you said, if if he's it's a it's a debate right now. But by the end of their careers, I, I believe the path that Giannis is going on right now will lead him to be better than Durant. Most definitely. And I have another similar one. This one a bit younger though. I saw on another one that says John Morant is the best player in this draft class over Zion Williamson. And do you agree with this one or not? That's so tough. That's very tough. Um, if we're looking at them individually and not what they've done for their teams, I'm gonna say that just off of sheer, I have to, I have to say John Morant honestly, because we've seen what zion do does like when he's healthy he's unguardable literally unguardable like there's not one person in this league that can confidently say they can hold zion williamson um but man like jaw john morant is maybe the epitome of what an athletic guard is and we haven't seen anyone in in his caliber in my eyes since derrick rose and his prime and winning the mvp and such um and i honestly think it's very comparable because both of them really didn't have the best of teams, but they took their teams far, in the, or at least decently far into the playoffs. And when I look at what John Moran has done, making the Western Conference Finals last year and putting it up, putting up a fight to the Warriors in six, I, I look at someone who's going to be very good for a long time. And he has had a few injuries that's held him out a little bit, but none like Zion. Zion missed the whole year last year. He's He's just so many question marks around him. I have to say that John Morant has played better than him so far. But listen, if he starts to figure out his health concerns and everything, Zion Williamson, I'm gonna this is a bold take. Zion Williamson will be better than John Morant by the end of their careers. I see your point, but I already see that Zion is already better than John Morant, not by the end of the careers. Right now, give me Zion over Ja. Like I see the argument where Ja is better. Yes, he does play more games. Zion is out a lot, but look. Zion in his first actual season, right? Let's exclude his rookie season because he came back pretty much in the middle of the season. Then COVID came, so he barely even played in that rookie season. This second season, his sophomore campaign, when he actually played in the whole NBA season, this guy made the all-star team as a starter. Let's look at John Morant in his sophomore season. He was still averaging less than 20 points per game, not even on the all-star team. All right, so we already give him Zion that bit. All right, and like you said, we've seen how great Zion and how dominant he can be when he's on the court. And like you said, I don't think anyone in the NBA can stop him when he's fully healthy and when he's fully in shape. He's pretty much one of the strongest guards. No, sorry, the strongest players of all time. He's really built like a football player in like a, a, in a basketball uniform. It's really hard to stop him. And although Ja has made the playoffs, the Pelicans made the playoffs without Zion last year. Without Zion playing at all, the Pelicans already made the playoffs. And like you see, like we've seen this year in the standings, when Zion plays, their team is the number one team in the entire Western Conference. And when Zion plays, like like I said, 
there's no one that can stop him. And the the numbers back it up. John Morant in his career averaging 22.1 points per game, while Zion is averaging 25.8 points per game in his career. So although yes, Jaw does play more games, maybe that stat is a little skewed with the amount of plate with the amount of games that Jaw has played. I mean, you could say the same thing without Zion, with Zion. So if you want to look at the first two seasons of John Moran's career and the first two seasons of Zion Williamson's career, that doesn't even help John Moran's case out of anything. It helps Zion's case even more to become the better player in John Moran in his draft class. So for me, I think that that take is not, is not correct. I think Zion Williamson is better than John Moran. Let's move on to the last one. And it's about this season. And it's a pretty controversial one too. This one says the Nets will win the 2023 NBA championship. Hmm, that is definitely an interesting take. I'm I'm going to say this. It's not outside the realm of possibility, but to say that they will win the championship is something that I do not agree with. Um, I look at the firepower not only in the East, not ahead of them necessarily because they are second right now to the Celtics, but just I, I still view the Bucks as a better team. Um, in my eyes, they're comparable to the Cavs, but... I don't know. This this talent right now is at an all-time high in the league, and we're seeing some miraculous stuff. So I'm not going to say, no, they will not win the 2023 NBA championship. But in my eyes, there's some, there's a few teams that I have over them. And it, it, even in the West, like, I still have the I have the Nuggets um, in my eyes. Um, well, they are in different conferences, to say that. But to win the championship, I still have a few teams in the West ahead of them, too. So I will say I disagree. I actually do agree with this take. Hear me out a little bit. Um, Kevin Durant is still an all-time player. He's playing at an all-time high still. His he's been very consistent in you know throughout his whole career. He's averaging pretty much the same amount of points, around like 28, 29 points per game, and he's basically never really had a bad game if you really think about it. Like in the regular season, he's always been putting up consistent stats. And the only flaw I guess he could say was that you know last year in the playoffs where he lost to uh, the Boston Celtics in a sweep, but Steve Nash was, we could pretty much say Steve Nash was the problem in Brooklyn on why they haven't been able to even make a conference finals appearance. And ever since he got fired, you know, we've seen the record, that 12-game win streak. They've been climbing up the standings all the way to second in the uh, the Eastern Conference. And with Kyrie Irving, you know, as, you know, averaging 27 points per game, he's been doing it all in offense as well. That's going to take pressure off of Kevin Durant. And when Ben Simmons plays, look, when Ben Simmons played after uh, Steve Nash, this guy's been actually looking like the Ben Simmons that, you know, Brooklyn traded for. The guy that can guard all five positions, play make, you know, do basically everything but score, which, you know, he doesn't really need to when you have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And what, look, you have TJ Warren off the bench. He's actually found himself a really nice role off the bench, averaging... I think under less than ten, but when I honestly do when I when I look at the games that he's played, he's been like scoring at least fifteen points per game off the bench. So you have that Seth Curry, you know, you have Joe Harris, you have shooters all around him. So you have cap- very capable defenders, scores, uh, a playmaker with Ben Simmons. I think they do have a recipe for success in Brooklyn. Just whether or not you know they could catch some breaks with maybe some injuries for other teams that will hold them back. You know, it all depends. It's a game of luck when you know when you go on a championship run, but. With this take, I actually do agree. This could very possibly happen this year. Yeah. Um. When I look at that, I I don't I don't like say oh you're wrong, but then I I I, I kind of think about the matchups like you like you described. There's no problems with the Brooklyn Nets team. They have everything. But if you're matching them up with a team such as the Bucks, 
I, I look at how Giannis is going to play the four, and they're going to have a bigger a bigger player at the five. Does that mean that Kevin Durant's going to have to check Giannis, or they're going to have they Nicholas have Nick Claxton? Claxton? No, look, they have Claxton and they have Ben Simmons, so KD could play the three, and that's going to cause way more problems for the Bucks. I feel like than for Brooklyn. Brooklyn, I think they could take care of Giannis, easy, not easily, but they have a better game plan for stopping Giannis than uh, than the Bucks do with stopping Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I don't know about that because uh, it, like, listen. Drew Holiday, again, one of the most capable guard defenders in the NBA. If anyone were going to check Kyrie, it would be him. And if Middleton is back and healthy, that gives him another dimension at 20 points per game. And so most likely if you're saying Kevin Durant's going to uh, play the three, he's going to have to check Middleton, which is still uh, like he, he will be able to match up with him. But it depends on if Middleton's able to play at the play that he did in the their last finals run, or is he going to be kind of like just not involved as much as we've seen and like you said um Nicholas Claxton would probably be the one checking Giannis because I don't think Ben Simmons is capable of doing that although he is a very fantastic defender I think size wise Claxton just kind of provides a better frame to be going up against Giannis and that would mean that Brooke Lopez is probably going to be matched up with Ben Simmons which again Ben Simmons is such a capable defender but it's just these weird lineup matchups which make him have to guard a seven foot one center and so Height wise, comparing him to Ben Simmons, he has a he has a matchup going in his favor. But again, this is this is all figurative, of course. Yeah. And so that's one specific team. If we look at the the larger scale of things, the as I said, the teams that will compete with the Nets for the championship in my eyes are the Celtics, the Bucks, the Nuggets, and the Warriors. Those four I put above the Nets. I don't think any four and any other team in the league is better than the Nets, but. Those four, I think, will all give them a run for their money. Definitely. I mean, that's another topic for another time when like the playoffs start to come around. But of course. that's all we have for today. And for more episodes, check out Top House Sports on Spotify. I'm Aldo Chu and Loud Kidding with Tamman, and that's all for today. See you next time.